means the ministry is interfering at Hogwarts. You're not going mad. You're just as sane as I am. I must not tell lies. You seem to be laboring under the delusion that I'm going to... What was the phrase? Come quietly. Hey everyone, welcome to Hogwarts, a podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Hogwarts, a podcast. We are discussing chapter 17, educational decree number 24. Dun, dun, dun. The ominous voice you hear is Anna's. <laughs> Hi. Obviously we get educational decree number 24 in this chapter, which we'll get into. Ron tries to get up to the girls' dormitories. Uh, we get some information really about the the meeting and kind of potential fallout, maybe. We get Hedwig. Oh, that was sad. I forgot that happened in this chapter. We get Hedwig appearing and uh, something clearly happened. We get some Snape versus Umbridge, which is what we've all been looking forward to. <laughs> Uh, to which I'll also post to you some of the questions from um, chapter 15, a couple chapters ago, with some of the teachers and their evaluations and how that goes, because I'd be intrigued as to some of your thoughts on those. Okay. For example, Trelawney clearly got the results of hers, but we'll get into those. <laughs> and we get uh, Sirius appearing in the fire once again. So there, there's a lot to this chapter. Uh, educational decree number 24. That's where we start, and it's all student organizations, societies, teams, groups, and clubs are henceforth disbanded. And it's defined as any regular meeting of three or more students. I don't understand how this is even happening at Hogwarts. They're a private institution. I don't understand how the ministry is able to have this much power over that level. So, you know what I was watching a while ago, actually? And I know this is going to surprise you, because you and I have very similar opinions on this movie. Oh, okay. And they're not positive. Uh-oh. <laughs> but I was I actually watched Crimes of Grindelwald. Oh, okay. And, it's been a minute since I watched that. Mm-hmm, and I was watching it, and I was like, wow, there are a lot of parallels to Order of the Phoenix. Oh. And specifically, there was a scene in which the headmaster, uh, not the headmaster, the head of magical law enforcement came to Albus's Defense Against the Dark Arts class. I know, save your commentary. <laughs> but came to his class. Suit. Oh, oh. <laughs> not the commentary I was expecting, but I know, okay. sorry, is that it? <laughs> Fair enough. But he came to Albus's classroom and it was like, somebody in the classroom said, uh, why are you here? Mm. How are you allowed here? And the guy's response was, I'm the head of magical law enforcement. I can go wherever I please. Mm. Not a fan. And the whole thing was trying to get Albus to confront Grindelwald. And it was very much ministry coming into Hogwarts, trying to dictate to Albus what should be done. And I was like, wow, this. so he's dealt with this in the 1920s and 30s, and now he's dealing with it, presumably, somewhere in that time span. He probably dealt with it again. He's dealing with it very hands-off this time. Like, I just don't, I don't know. It, it was just interesting to kind of see, like, man, Albus gets this from the Ministry often. Oh, he's Albus. Yeah. Also, I have an issue with regular meeting of three or more students. 
three seems like an arbitrarily and stunningly low number how, to how set that. How would she ever enforce that, though? What, is she going to go into the library every day and be like, hey, you got no. too many people at this table? I, no, I agree with you. I agree with you completely. It's just that's what the words are. No, I know. <laughs> so it's like, but does she pop into every common room and look at every, like, table? But and you be know like, what, though? That's just typical administrative, not thinking I'll, through I'll exactly go outside of the trio. word. What about Fred, George, and Lee? Michael Corner, Terry Boot, and Anthony Goldstein. Like, there are some... Oh my gosh, Cho, who's always going around with all of her friends to the bathroom, which we learned about in Goblet of Fire. She can't have her bathroom club anymore. Uh, we get Ron, who learns of this decree. And Aww. his first thought is to immediately run to Hermione. Which is so cute. And he goes to run up to the girls' dormitory, and then it becomes a massive slide. Oh, poor baby. And shoots him all the way down. Uh, shoots in ladder style to uh, the bottom of the... Don't you just, like, imagine him, like, arms windmilling for a few minutes? I imagine like, the cartoon to... yeah. legs mm -hmm. spinning and then Smoke going nowhere. coming out. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that's what I imagine, too. And I have a hard time believing that... One, either Ron or Hermione or Ron or Harry at some point didn't try to get up to the girls' dormitory to speak to Hermione. And two, no guy at any point in time in the Gryffindor common room tried to get up to that dormitory. Well, I don't understand. Like the girls who come down the slide seem to clearly know. Correct. So why why do the girls know? Is this just like something that the girls are told when they first come to Hogwarts? Which then why aren't the boys so like I, I have much more of a problem with that. You know, again, I mentioned how this is young adult fiction in my last episode with you. Clearly, when I was reading this as a teenager, this was just like a funny, oh, ha, 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 ha. Mm -hmm. I have a lot more issues with it now as an adult. Agreed. Which is like, this seems so unnecessary. But maybe and she's we're not just even... being smart marketing towards young adult humor i don't know and we're not even getting into the whole uh minutiae of women are more trustworthy than men and not even or or entering that right which is like kind of and this is me going against my own sex like yes there's the one connotation of like men not being trustworthy but also like why are you just assuming that it's okay for girls to go up to the boys dormitory girls can be causing just as much trouble in the boys' dormitory, as boys could be doing, like I just, yep, I don't like, yep, this but five know, second part of the chapter. <laughs> I agree. There's actually a lot more issues in this yeah. little bit than you might read at a cursory glance. But yeah, um, you know how Hermione knows about the the little trick slide. She read Hogwarts: A History. Of course, she hey, did. we got a mention. It's lovely. But yeah, so uh, they end up discussing, obviously, the implications that the decree has for the club that they just started. I feel like this is a whiplash level, like, turnaround. Yeah. I mean, this is stark. Mm. Uh, go to sleep one night, wake up, and clearly she knew about all of it, you would assume. And Hermione's like, ah, don't worry about it. No one snitched on us because <laughs> if they did, I put a jinx on the parchment. It's so sneaky. I it, love it. It is very sneaky. Hermione has been kind of sneaky in this yeah. book. She's done this without telling people what they're truly signing up for, or at least the extent of it. And then 
she's been sneaky with the house elf um yeah pseudo clothing i don't like that either i think it's uh one of her more immoral moments but anyway you know what is truly immoral someone harming hedwig Mm. how dare they harm such a beautiful beautiful owl which lavender comments on it's like oh i always like that owl but i also feel like that was a smart like little slip into like it's a realization of hedwig is an unusual owl like lavender always loved that owl it's beautiful it stands out it's a large snowy owl hence why maybe somebody wanting to read harry's mail would easily be able to identify harry's owl yeah, I, I would probably hesitate on sending anything halfway decent until at least the winter time when she can at least blend into the snow a little bit better and like True. camouflage. Sending her when it's like, you know, fall, probably not the best. She stands out quite a bit, but, you know, and everybody knows it. I mean, it's. Well, and I don't think very many people have a snowy owl. Like, I don't think there's any it, confusing Harry's no, owl with somebody else. Go up to the owlery. It's a lot of screech owls, yeah. a lot of barn owls, it's a lot of different types of owls that aren't specifically snowy. Yeah. And probably that's why Hagrid got her in the first place, because he's like, oh, no, this is a special owl for a, a very special boy. <laughs> it's amazing how much we could fit in that very special boy comment. It's true. Oh, anyway. Um, so he goes to find Grubbly Plank for helping, uh, to help out Hedwig since Hagrid is not there. And I do love how after Harry hands over Hedwig, Hedwig kind of looks around and was like, why are you handing me off to someone? she looks so betrayed. I I feel like that's always a, a poignant moment, but. I liked this part, not so much the, like, Hedwig interaction stuff, but McGonagall's part of this. Mm Mm-hmm. I like, you know, there's been a lot of talk about how, like, unintelligent the adults are being with the trio and about how, like, much trouble the trio gets into when they're not given a little bit of information. And I feel like in this book, McGonagall has displayed that maybe she's picked up on that part of Harry, that, like, she's willing to, like, like, when she tells Potter to have a biscuit, she's very, like, she's not trying to act like umbridge isn't a problem you know she's just telling harry to be smarter about how he interacts with umbridge and here she's being like you know communications being watched like she's trying to like help him like she's respecting she's not telling him like stop talking to sirius like why are you sending owls like stop being so stupid she's saying like hey maybe be smarter about your communication like i don't know i just like how frustrated would you be if you were mcgonagall and you've now told him three different times, three, Harry, you gotta be smarter. Like, be better. You, how do you not understand the whole picture of this thing? You know, I think at this stage in her career, she's just used to that. She literally took five points from him for ignoring her advice. I... <laughs> like which is the most justified five points ever taken from a student of like i told you to not I do think this it depends on the mood you catch her in fair enough we do get a letter from sirius coming back that's what the letter was that hedwig was transporting and it was just today same time same place which again uh you'd have to 
obviously know a whole lot of information to mm-hmm. puzzle that together. Yeah. You'd also have to know Sirius's handwriting. Yes. To figure out that it's actually Sirius, which true. I don't know how many people have that on. I don't know if the ministry holds like a record of because you know that is a thing now. Like you can actually analyze handwriting. Yeah, and, no, like, of course. But where would they have gotten? Like, what document would they have that they would have kept? Schoolwork? Something from the Black family? I have no idea. I don't know. It would just bother me even more if the government has an example of his schoolwork kept on file. And I don't know that they have... I, well, I'm sure somebody at the ministry knew Sirius at some point. It's not like he was an unpopular guy. Maybe it's Kingsley's fault. Maybe Umbridge went and visited Kingsley in his serious black investigation. Uh, maybe. Maybe Kingsley would have something on file. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. So you get you get the beginning of Snape's class. But just before that, you have oh, Malfoy mocking Ron and Harry. And just poking and poking, poking, as Malfoy does. And they should expect it. And they do a fairly decent job of weathering it. Mm. Except that might be because Neville beats him to the punch. Literally? He tries. He tries. He tries. Harry says him. Which yeah. he doesn't appreciate. No, they, they hold him back. Malfoy was getting um, unknowingly personal. Yeah. And he thought he was just poking at Harry and Ron. And he was getting awfully, awfully personal with... Neville. There's even a line about how he's surprised when he sees Neville coming at him, I believe. Yeah, and, you know, it goes back to that idea of Neville's an underdog. Neville's always been an underdog, and he always shows little moments of why he's a Gryffindor. They get larger and larger as these books have progressed. Mm-hmm. Harry always talks about Hogwarts, you know, there's the line and Sorcerer's Stone, like, Hogwarts is home. He's not really going home, whatever the line is. Like, Hogwarts isn't just important for, like, Harry. I think Hogwarts does more for Neville, even more, maybe, than Harry. I feel like Hogwarts steadily by steadily lets Neville grow into who he really is. He gets homeschooled. Neville isn't this same person. Much worse, probably, if he's homeschooled. Yeah, it, it it's an interesting reaction, and I, and I do agree with you that note that Malfoy seemed surprised that Neville came at him. Uh, well, especially I, because, like, what about this would make Neville come at him? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, the only people clued into and, and Harry mentions, is like, oh, I know what was said that set him off specifically but it's just him and Dumbledore are the only two Malfoy like making the face and everything like he just it would be a lot be a lot yeah this is just a random off the wall question and it might uh, I don't know do you think Malfoy as annoying as much of an irritant as he is as much of a person to kind of pick and pick and pick at you do you think if he knew what he was saying was real about Neville, do you think he'd back off? No. You're is talking it... about the boy who made the crack about Cedric Diggory on the train. Where Draco is right now, I think he still makes that joke, even if he knows. 
Really? Yeah. I don't know. There's always that. I don't think he's moved past the be cruel, like cruelty is funny stage. Yeah, I, I don't know. I I think there's always that moment of like making fun of something that's not necessarily real is one thing. And then once you know it, like, oh, maybe that's too far. But Does he have a too far right now? I mean, look back on the other books. When has he let something being real let him stop him from, I mean, he's gone at Harry about his dead parents mm. And he's gone at them about Cedric's death. He's gone at Ron about his parents, his poor status. Like, I, yeah. I don't think he really has a line yet of what he won't. If, it, if it's somebody that he doesn't think well of, if it's somebody that he's jealous of, I don't think he really has a line uh, that he won't cross. Okay. Yeah. Uh I just, you know, was wondering if 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 he did have that kind of line. I think some people, point. of course, would. Yeah. I think some people find out about Neville's history and instantly regret, you know, like might make a joke about something like that before finding out it actually applies to someone. But I don't think Draco has that. Well, we enter this interesting interaction between... I think it's the matchup we've all been waiting for. I know a lot of people were waiting for the <laughs> McGonagall umbrage of it all. And I think this is the matchup that most people were waiting for because Harry almost sets it up like that. He's like, I don't even know who I want to win in this little, like, 1v1. I honestly don't know who I want to win. <laughs> so we get potions with umbrage observing Snape. And we learn that Snape is about 14 years in to his teaching gig. He sets them all on a strengthening solution, which Umbridge immediately questions. It's like, yeah. hey, not really sure this is where the ministry wants you to go with this potion. And maybe you should remove it from the syllabus. Which, like, why? I would assume, like... Okay, I'm assuming strengthening solution refers to literal physical strength and not magical strength. But still, you're talking about a woman and a administration that clearly fears half-breeds. Mm. And you're talking about Lupin with half-werewolf that would enhance his physical strength. You're talking about Hagrid, half-giant, would increase his physical strength. I guess. I would assume literal, like, strength would be a problem for them especially if they're thinking that dumbledore is forming an army <laughs> you know yeah i guess so it's an interesting interaction between the two and uh umbridge pokes at snape with his repeated attempts to be the defense against the dark arts teacher I find so interesting why is she so focused on his past and the ministry wanting to make sure backgrounds are fine like she's so evil and she's not totally opposed to a lot of the beliefs that Voldemort and the Death Eaters hold. So why would she be worried about his past as a Death Eater? So that's a great comment. And I, I agree. I, I agree that assumption is there that she's speaking of his questionable legal <laughs> background. And my assumption would be Umbridge is chaotic evil. Like, 
I don't know that she really has a purpose or a motivation <laughs> for her evil deeds of sorts. I think she's literally just like... Maybe she sees Snape as a threat, and so that she sees that as a route to causing him problems. Also, I think she's still a member of this ministry who does have a very uh, strict record against Death Eaters or people of that ilk. So she's still towing the company line as far as what the opinion is of these certain individuals. True. So... It just stuck out to me as no, I like get you. being goofy for her to be worried about. It's it's definitely odd. Um, I think Snape handles it in a very interesting way. I think he handles it by going after Harry. Well, it, it's almost an in between of what Trelawney and McGonagall do because he like retorts to Umbridge, but not in a very like substantial way. True. <laughs> so it's like somewhere in between. True. Which, I, I, I don't know what Umbridge really views of that as just like... I mean, there's not much for her to do with his it, comebacks. Yeah, he doesn't give her a lot to go no, on. Oh, yeah. Which, I guess, is ultimately a win for, for Snape. Even though she does a pretty good job of kind of embarrassing him mm-hmm. a little bit. and She's a bit of the gnat-fi. Coming at him. Yeah. And I think that's literally what he views her as. Like, can this idiot please get away from me? (laughs) I am so annoyed right now. So we get to Trelawney, who was reviewed clearly poorly. Because she is in a state. Yes, she is. She's not very airy right now. And I want to get your opinion on this. Because we had... In chapter 15, the High Inquisitor, she started her rounds Mm -hmm. and she reviewed Flitwick, she reviewed Trelawney, she reviewed McGonagall and Grubblyplank. And Flitwick seemed to be fine. We didn't get a whole lot of that. Uh, Grubblyplank, although Grubblyplank gave her an answer she didn't like as far as Grubblyplank liking Dumbledore and liking the school as a whole, fine. McGonagall and Trelawney were the two interesting ones. And Trelawney buckled under mm-hmm. Umbridge's pressure. And That's surprising. I th- yeah, I thought she started well. And she was like, that's not how divination works. That's not how seeing works. But then once Umbridge pressed it, she buckled. And I thought if she had continued to press her advantage, she would have been fine. Because what, what's Umbridge really going to say? Well, I think that's the thing. It's kind of hard to hold something up like that and that's in general probably why divination isn't very well respected because there's no concrete sure proof thing that she can hold up so how are you supposed to come back at umbra like i think very many people would buckle like trelawney did in that particular instance but i think obviously mcgonagall handled it the perfect (laughs) route Um, and and, you know (laughs) normally i don't Allow people to speak when I am speaking. Yeah, I know I know. Marty uh, said it when he was on about how just, like, she's 39 years in. Who cares? If you get a bad review, you could just retire. <laughs> like, you just be like, all right, I'm out. <laughs> like, whatever. I don't need this anyway. I'm done. You know, it's, you know, it's whatever. Yeah. Um, so she's 
she's kind of like at the I don't care anymore. Like whatever. Like, are you gonna watch my class or not? Like, I don't care. <laughs> like, I don't care what you do. Just be quiet. So I I liked it. But um, that being said, I want your opinion on this because we saw literally back to back to back. Uh, we saw Trelawney, Umbridge, and McGonagall all teach, and McGonagall helping kids through the vanishing spell and progressing. Trelawney, say what you will, actually taught her lesson and went, she taught her lesson and went to each individual student and answered their questions and tried to help them through the dream interpretation. And if you're a student, you'd rather have that than what did Umbridge do as her lesson? Oh, okay, well, Umbridge is clearly not that, But that's what I'm saying. We're talking about teachers and evaluating teachers. We have two that are clearly trying to actually help their students, whether you, whatever the effectiveness is, it. they're actually trying to help their students. Umbridge is literally telling you to sit and read a book for the lesson. Repeatedly. Lesson after lesson. It's like... I would like to hold up previous lessons of Trelawney and say when she's not being observed and evaluated, she doesn't always do she does. what she, she does. She walks around. She walks around for herself. right? She walks around to show off her skills to her students. The only students I really remember her sitting with and really actively talking about their work and trying to help are Lavender and Parvati because they, like, worship her and are really interested in the subject. All the teachers show off their skills. <clears throat> McGonagall no, transformed okay. from an animagus. And the you asked my opinion of Chelani. I will hold up a quote from Hermione in this very chapter okay. as my exact opinion of Chelani. And Go that is, I don't hate her i just think she's an absolutely appalling teacher and that is how i feel about trelawney so you don't I think, think mcgonagall is a prime example of a very excellent teacher a little strict yes but a very excellent teacher umbridge is the pinnacle of an absolutely terrifying person in a teaching position because she's just not teaching and I don't really understand. In like her very first lesson, she says something about, like she implies that she is a ministry educated um, specialist in education. And I would just love to know how she tries to claim being that. She's literally an assistant to the minister. So like- Elizabeth had that same point of like, what qualifies you to yeah. evaluate any educator, like, no matter who they are. Yeah. And my point back to her was, if you're talking education, nothing. I think the ministry did educate her on what they want from her oh, in yeah. these evaluations. So she's educated Obviously. in that respect. Yeah. So you're splitting she's gears on the... educated in Cornelius Fudge and what he wants to have exactly. at Hogwarts. Yes. But... She's splitting hairs and she's spinning it a certain way. Ugh. But yes, I mean, you're talking... I mean, McGonagall's got 39 years. Trelawney's been a teacher longer than Snape has. Mm -hmm. So it's yes, like, so... Because I, you know what? Trelawney actually sought out a teaching position. Well, my feelings on Snape would have to remain in the spoiler <laughs> section. Fair but... enough. I think you also have an individual in McGonagall whose career aspirations were to be in the education field. So anybody who's a teacher like 
McGonagall is, is somebody who, at le- yes, you worded it very well that, like, those are her aspirations. But, like, it's not so much because of her career. It's because of what she wanted to do for her kids. McGonagall would never think to just try and educate by reading a book and assuming understanding of the theory would be enough because she doesn't care about the test scores. Any teacher with their salt doesn't care about the test scores. They care about preparing their student and giving their student education that they believe is going to be necessary for their their development as a human being and going forward in life. Can I ask you a question? That I've wanted to ask you for a while, and now that I actually have you on the episodes again, I want to ask you this before I forget. <laughs> okay. So you're, uh, for those that don't know, if I may give a little bit of your background. Sure. You want, you have a very great interest in history. Yes. And you were once <laughs> uh, wanting to be an educator <laughs> of history. Yes. So how do you feel about bins and making this class more entertaining of sorts. Because Harry says this might be a more entertaining class that he'd care more about if some other person, living or dead, I guess, was actually teaching it. So the thing about history, a lot of people think a history class has to be strictly lecture. And... Unfortunately, there are a lot of history teachers who do like bins and do nothing but lecture and throw out dates and facts that are supposed to be memorized. And that's not teaching history. That's teaching facts. And that's why I said bins frustrates me so much because Harry's correct. I might not be a history teacher, but I'm still very passionate about learning from history and I just like there's so much you can do to teach kids get kids involved it doesn't have to be straight lecture you know it doesn't have the the advent of a whole lot of visual aids given the kind of setting that they're in it's not like you can play clips from documentaries or movies or what have you don't even need that and I get there's not really much magic I would think that you could really be teaching in a history class maybe you could spice it up by doing you know like an actual interpretation of you know like I think we all had to do some role play in certain history classes reenactments of whatever whatever um that's one way of doing it but there might there might not be visual aids but you know what in Prisoner of Azkaban Snape had some lovely kind of PowerPoint type, old school PowerPoint type thing. But you don't, you can spice it up even more than that in history class. I mean, get the kids up out of their seats, get them moving around, have them face off in one of these giant wars that he's teaching about and try and make a battle plan. I don't think giants really make battle plans. They don't seem particularly smart. Rampage through the field, is there? I mean, there's got to be some sort of history something that they can have a debate about you know like you take this stance you take this stance now have a debate you know marty's a big debate person um there's just so much and then there's a way to bring it back to current i mean 
Voldemort is back. Like, I know Ben's is no member of the Order of the Phoenix or anything, but in the competent hands of a teacher, there's something throughout magical history. Teach about Grindelwald and relate that back to what the students are about to be going through, you know? I just like, ugh, there's so much more he could be doing. Anyway, I, uh, sorry for the tangent. No, yeah, that's why I asked. It was for the tangent. So, yeah, I, but I, I just wanted your professional opinion on how to make maybe a history class more interesting than that. There's lots of ways. Anyway, that's Teacher Talk with Hogwarts a Podcast. <laughs> we do uh, learn that, uh, speaking of talented uh, individuals, and you can kind of, I guess, credit all of the teachers of Hogwarts in this, but uh, the twins are becoming quite the talented individuals. Yes. And we learned that they have now perfected puking um, pastels. I never doubted them. They have quite the fervent ambition for this, <laughs> so... I don't know that I would choose this one to no. really advertise on because it looks unpleasant. It sounds unpleasant. It probably I mean, smells unpleasant. They all seem to, well, it's being vanished. Yeah, but it's still there for a little bit. I would just be grossed out. Yeah. Yeah. I also don't understand, like, you're actively vomiting. How do you stuff the other half down your that's throat. the trick and i think that's the trick that they struggled on yeah i like i don't know maybe it I dissolves would not be super buying. quick and then it like i would not be buying them i mean if i was giving the medical i think i'd wait for fever fudge fever fudge is unpleasant too yeah but i don't want a nosebleed and i don't want to puke and you don't want to faint yeah i don't want to faint because how are you, like... Yeah, I, that's... You you would need to rely on somebody to give you the other half if you're fainting. And you'd have to have someone catch you. I feel like a fever, I'm most in control of getting my cure back into my body. Yeah, that's fair. They're creative. So after everyone is uh, bored or grossed out <laughs> or whatever of this display, they all leave the common room. And Sirius pops in. Mm. And he immediately starts off with like, so you're meeting in the hogshead, huh? Nice. Secret organizations. Good job. I do. I do appreciate how he's like, actually, I love this idea. This is a great idea. I would have totally been in on this. But he does. I, I do actually appreciate this where he's like, Hermione, you're brilliant. You have a lot to learn still. Like there's some nuances that you really need to pick up. I like that part, too. So, and, and really, he I mean, talking about teachers, he does a little bit of teaching. He's like, so why didn't you do the three broomsticks? Oh, it's crowded with people. So a big meeting would be less conspicuous. Conspicuous, yeah. And the murmur would get drowned out by all of the other people. Like, your thought was there is a little off. Which if anybody's going to learn the lesson, it's going to be Hermione Granger. I liked that he immediately jumped into a warning from Mrs. Weasley. And it's just like, I promised to pass along the message. Please make sure you tell her that I passed along the message because I don't think she'll believe me that I did. It's comedic. It's funny. And I like it. But it also made me think. And I'm looping Lupin into this just because I love Lupin. And I feel like he would think similarly to Sirius about this particular subject matter. I don't think. Sirius, Lupin, and Molly Weasley like each other. I mean, like, obviously Sirius and Remus like each other. 
but like take the war out of it let's just like pretend ron and harry became friends it's like normal life i don't think Sirius Lupin and Molly Weasley would be like parental friends. I think Molly would actively dislike Lupin and Sirius. I think Sirius would actively like dislike Molly. I think Lupin would be whatever about Molly, but I don't think Molly would like Lupin. I think absolutely you're 100% right with Molly and Sirius. I don't, they don't mesh very much at all. The only thing that really binds them together is that they both care very much for Harry. So you take Harry out of But even that they don't like about each other. Like they don't like how the other person cares about Harry. Uh yeah. They put um, up with it. They don't like it. Yeah, because they're both defensive of it and they just have different philosophies. But the interesting one, I think, is Molly and Lupin that you bring up. Because I think Molly at, at the very least respects Lupin's abilities and his advice. Because A, he was the one to put a stop to the serious Molly bickering when he was like, serious, sit down, Molly, we all care about Harry. Let's get, let's go on about this whole thing. And two, he was the one to kind of calm Molly Weasley down after her uh, Boggart incident. And he was the one talking to her about like, hey, mm. we'll all be fine. We'll all be okay. We've been through this before. We can, we're better now. We're more educated now. Yeah. So I think she, at the very least, respects him. I will give you this, though. Uh, and this is me kind of throwing, I guess, a little bit of shade on Molly Weasley. Him being part werewolf. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I don't think she loves that. And I think if, in your scenario where Harry is removed from this situation and it's just them on the street and Lupin's werewolf condition is made upfront in public, no, I don't think Molly would like Lupin very much at all. The fact that she knows him enough... And a lot of trusted people have vouched for him and he's demonstrated his abilities, makes her comfortable hearing the calm down after the boggart. Out on the street with no context, I don't think she likes him at all. But even if she were to get to know Lupin more, like the side of Lupin who is friends with Sirius and James, I don't think she would like that part of him either. Like the, I think the werewolf is the biggest part. I think that's the part where he loses Molly. Definitely. Um, you don't think him being the quote-unquote good kid out of that bunch is any... He's the quote-unquote good kid who goes along with... You know, he never gave that influence over James and Sirius that the prefect abilities... You know, he has that line where he was the prefect... And Remus thought Dumbledore was hoping he would calm down James and Sirius, and he never really was successful. Well, it's like, like the whole Ron and the twins bit. It's like, it's just not going to happen. But I think part of Remus is because he liked it too. You know, he's got that sure. little bit of... Oh, no, he's a he's a marauder for a reason. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't think, I don't think Molly is here for marauders. Like, I don't think she would like James and Lily either. <laughs> Which is hilarious because her twins are essentially the modern marauders and her twins are her children that she's the cruelest to yeah that's true 
No, I think I'm you're not right. trying to throw shade on Molly. No, either. no, I, I threw the shade but, on her because I'm throwing out the but whole I've thrown half breed. Shade bit. on Molly previously over the subject matter. No, it's I, not my favorite part of Molly Weasley. I think but. in the scenario you suggested, I think you're right. I think she would not like Lupin. I think in this reality I think she that we're tolerates in, tolerates Lupin. Oh, I, I think she more than tolerates him. I think she respects his abilities and his insights. Uh, likes is a different question. She might not like him, but I think she, she's respectful of what he has to offer. I, I think she genuinely oh, dislikes yeah, no, Sirius. Definitely. But, but you know who she dislikes most? Mundungus, who we are officially revealed in this chapter was the, the witch behind uh, the Black yes, Veil. Yes. And, uh, we also learned that he was banned from the Hogshead 20 years ago. Oh, I would love to know that story. It's another short story I want. I would imagine that encounter, because the barman looked, I mean, seems very intimidating. So I feel like that encounter would be an interesting. There have probably been many interesting encounters in the Hogshead. Yes. So we find out that. We find out that Sirius approves of the secret group and that he's actually a big fan of it. Also, side note, I really love how, because uh, Hermione and Ron go back and forth at a different point in time during this whole conversation. Like, there's some talk amongst the three going mm -hmm. on while they're talking with Sirius. And I love the description of Sirius's head in the fire, just slowly rotating between the three and between it like going back and forth. <laughs> I just love that description so much. I always loved the description of his head just floating there. I picture it as literally like a floating yes. head. Me too. Like a little hologram, like yes. floating head, but just in flames. Yes. So, but we also get a floating hand which i envision as like i don't know why it it's just as described as like a hand with rings on it and whatever i view it in my head as like just a floating zombie hand <laughs> like going i don't know why but i just feel like view it that way trying to like grab at this head i don't get why she went rings, this route with what? it yeah i don't you know. know i don't know but you have essentially Umbridge's hand coming through the side of the fireplace trying to grab Sirius. Sirius was like wait something's off and nope peace out and then you see the hand come through mm. which and then the trio runs I love it. <laughs> how do you even like how does that work in the flu network where you're just like I don't get it. especially because her hand came out from the wall. I don't get it. This I think was poor writing on JK's like, clearly Sirius couldn't get caught. But the implication needed to be made that Umbridge is watching the flute network. But I'm just, I'm not here for this. And how does that work? Is she just flipping through the channels, like Ravenclaw Common Room, Dumbledore's office, Hufflepuff Common Room, Gryffindor? Oh, and then just reaches into the fire and, like, I don't know how any of that works. I don't know either. I don't get it. I don't know. She nearly catches Sirius in the fire, and yes, as you put it, the trio just bolts, which is great. Do you have anything else for the non-spoilers? I don't think so. Cool. Uh, I do know that you have a lot to discuss on some of the other chapters that we've had, and if you know Anna at all, she's got thoughts. <laughs> she's going to bring it. So we will be right back with the spoiler section. All right, we are back with the spoiler section of chapter 17, and Anna's got thoughts. What you got? 
But with this morning has new song, I mean, I know the songs always seem like they would get pretty repetitive, but this particular song, obviously, I think Ron says the hat's branched out a bit or it took something a turn. like that. Like two thirds of the way, it takes a turn. <laughs> and I just, the whole thing, I just love it. Three parts of it in particular that always stick out to me. The first part is actually about Hufflepuff. And I know I'm not usually the biggest proponent of Hufflepuff, but I'm just coming off of my big, like, teacher rant. I feel like Helga's the only one that sounds like how you were describing McGonagall, like, wanting <laughs> like... this was her aspiration. Like, yes, Helga sounds like a the good teacher that, like, I'll teach the lot and treat them all just the same. Like, I like that part of the Sorting Hat song. And then there's a part about um, when the they started breaking apart, they were feeding on their on their faults and fears, and I feel like that's really kind of where the school is at currently. Mm-hmm. But then, and this is like going back to my teacher rant again too. But there's the line about oh no, the perils read the signs, the warning history shows, and again, I wish people would just learn from history. And, like, clearly the school didn't unite before, and Slytherin went and branched off. And now the Tat's trying to tell them to unite from inside, or they'll crumble from within. And, you know, clearly they do. You know, at the final battle of Hogwarts, the only Slytherin is Slughorn. All of the Slytherin house is escorted out. And I just wish... Especially since she makes such a point of this being the Thorny Hat's message. You know, this whole book with the DA, one of the things I love the most about this, the D- Dumbledore's army is just so great. But it really holds up this idea of the inner house unity that the Thorny Hat's trying to talk about. And I think it's so great. I wish eventually they found one Slytherin, you know? Even just one. And I know eventually Malfoy maybe kind of sort of takes a turning point. I don't know. I feel like he's the closest to a redeemed Slytherin we get. But I just wish there had been one Slytherin who gets to join the DA or who stayed for the Battle of Hogwarts something. I don't know. You know what would have been cool to have is if Slughorn, as the leader of the house at that time, was able to inspire other Mm. Slytherin students to be like, no, we don't have to be this. This is not where we have to go. And I know that's obviously not what happened. And I don't know that it's a fault of Slughorn's character. I think it's a fault of the writing. I think it's a missed opportunity, like you're talking about. I do. I don't know that Slughorn is that person. Because he's got too much of that slug club. Like, I don't know that he would hold up that respect to be like hey we don't have to be this when all along he's been having these like special little people that he picks and chooses i think if snape had stood up had been able to stand up at that point and been the person to be like i think snape would have had a better and that's me probably, saying no, this about snivelous no we you're know probably how right I feel about him, he had but... more cachet with the students because yeah. slughorn at that point had only been teaching him for two years whereas snape had a little bit more history with them um no you're probably right i I just think it i agree with you i think it would have been great for a slytherin to a be a part of the da and 
be some someone other than Slughorn yeah. step up in that battle. I mean, I guess that does speak to Slughorn, and we'll get there when we get there, and yeah. we'll have to, and. I know I'm not trying to yeah. prematurely we'll dissect have, the Battle of Hogwarts. We'll have a lot of discussions on Slughorn will be a big factor <laughs> coming up here very soon. Not very soon. We still have a long way to go in Order of the Phoenix. Me too. But I, I think, and that's what Jen has been harping on, is like, why can't I get one good Slytherin? Right. And I know, look, the, just the odds. The odds are, there are, they, they are there. But I wish we had been given them you know i mean like i know hufflepuffs have been given more in recent years ravenclaws always had luna at the very least why couldn't slytherin why did slytherin always have to be the evil the ones who stood up and been like oh let's turn in harry potter like inherently things about cunningness and and stuff you know, at one point, Gryffindor and Slytherin were the best of friends. Clearly, there had to have been right. some sort of good in Salazar. I, I just, you know... But J.K. I... does so much intricacy with so many of these different characters. Snape. Oh, my goodness. The intricacies yeah. of Snape. Like, I just... It, it goes back to a serious quote. Is... <laughs> the world isn't split into good people and Death Eaters. Yeah. And that's Slytherin. Slytherin as a house is not split into good people and Death Eaters. There's a whole bunch of gray up in there. But all she ever gives us are the Death Eaters. Correct. Which is I, ultimately a missed opportunity on her part. Yeah. And if you really want to preach unity and uh, reaching across borders or reaching across boundaries of whatever form or fashion, that's an opportunity. And it's never really displayed, except no. through Snape. But I feel like that's, in what we are talking about, yeah. doesn't work. Well, especially with how you know I feel, how I feel about Snape. Well, yeah. <laughs> Which, again, we will get to. But, um, no, I agree with you. I think, it, I think it's all a missed opportunity for some shine. on Because we, we know a fraction of the students that are actually in Slytherin. Yes. A small fraction. So, not everybody is Malfoy, Crab, Goyle, and possibly the worst one, Pansy? I don't know. <laughs> I think she might be the worst one. She might one. be the worst one. I, I don't think know. she really might be. So, not everybody is, is those four individuals. But what else you got? Um, let's see. The other part of that chapter, uh, that always really stands out with me is the fight with Seamus at the very end of the chapter. Because I feel like that's already a prime example that she's obvious. I'm sure she did it on purpose to hold up as the fracturing already starting from within. And it's not even between houses. It's literally the same house. Somebody that Harry has the line of how it shakes him because he's always really liked Seamus a lot. So I feel like that that is a really great example. And obviously Seamus eventually comes back into the fold and he joins the DA. But that whole conversation between the boys and Neville peeking up over his covers, talking about how they believe Harry. I think it's, um, I always really liked that as a starter too. What do you think of the idea of, you know, this is something we've kind of talked about before too, but uh, the idea of Voldy 
being so powerful that he hasn't even actually done anything yet. He's just existed. And he's already driven a massive wedge into the wizarding world. And to the point of now, yes, there's <laughs> there's not even inter like forget inner house unity. There's not even within the same house right. unity anymore. Like you're talking about and even house versus like school versus government. Like it's like it's on all levels. What do you think of the idea that I had where uh, the trio itself is kind of like a microcosm of the wizarding world as a whole? Because there's some in what uh, in one of the previous chapters, there's well, I mean, in a few of the chapters, a lot of the chapters, you get fracturing between the three, the the golden trio, and you mm -hmm. get Harry yelling at them, and Ron snapping at Hermione, and Ron being afraid of Harry, and it's mm -hmm. and this circle of just like there's some fractures and some cracks happening within our little perfect golden trio. Yeah. While the major wizarding world is also having these cracks form mm -hmm. and what you thought were whole and sacred bonds. And they're not that. They're starting to break apart. Exactly. I don't think any of the Weasleys would have ever expected a fracture within their unit. Right. Speaking of the Weasleys, I also want to get your opinion on Percy's letter to Ron. There's some interesting things <laughs> in that letter. And Percy is quite antagonistic and i don't even think he means to be i think he's no. telling his truth uh, agreed and it's just coming across as whoa ron's what? definitely not wanting to hear it and i'm i've always i've been talking about how i think uh if percy's willing to write to ron do you think he's written to bill and charlie and been like hey what do you guys really believe dad or are you guys going to come around? Especially Bill. I think, I think he values Bill's opinion quite a lot. Um, but then Bill was probably also in the vicinity of that big argument that happened. So maybe he's very aware that Bill is with Arthur. I don't know. What are your two cents? You're probably right that Bill probably has the best chance of getting uh, a letter from him. I also think potentially Jenny might get a letter from him because I think in Chamber of Secrets there seemed to be a certain Percy seemed to be trying to look out for Jenny maybe a little bit more than some of her other brothers. Um, at least that was something I always picked up on my on my readings. So I think maybe Bill and Jenny are the only other ones that potentially got a letter. But also, I don't know. I think, I don't know that anybody other than Ron is getting a letter like this because Ron has a little bit of differences going on from everybody else. I think he found out that Ron got prefect. So that's something he can immediately relate to. But also, Ron is best friends with Harry. And Ron's young enough that maybe he thinks he can still influence him to get him away from Harry, focus on being a prefect, and maybe follow his route. I think he even freezes something like that to follow mm -hmm. his route instead of following Fred and George. So I think 
I think Ron and Jenny are maybe the only ones because I think he's the only one he holds out hope that maybe he could get them to also follow him instead of Bill and Charlie are already, he probably knows they're in the order, right? Bill for sure, because I assume yeah. he's been connected with Arthur and... Like That's you said, he was thing. probably there for He's the probably fight. in the room when it happened, I Right, and weren't they, like, getting ready to move to Grimwall Place when it Something happened? Like so that, I'm sure yeah. he knows all of that stuff. Um, which, to his credit, he knows all of that. He must have clearly not ratted them out to Fudge, because it's not like Fudge is banging on their door asking about the Order of the Phoenix. I think... So there's still a level of familial loyalty in there. I mean, that he's writing to Ron at all. Yeah. And I, I don't know, I, <laughs> I hate to speak ill of my parents or whatever he said, but the, you know, the type of individual that they're hanging around with is just not, you know, it's interesting. It, it's, Percy's an interesting character to dissect in this book. he is. I think he's going through some growing pains. I mean, since we started this podcast, I've defended Percy a lot more than I ever expected to from attacks you have made against his person i just made an observation i'm disappointed in percy but i never lost hope in percy i never doubted that percy was eventually going to to write his ship took a whole heck of a lot for him to do it but at least he did it and at least he did it at an age that you can grow from there not like too late to me the way i've always thought of it is that it makes it good for percy that before any of that happened, everybody in his family, well, maybe not Charlie, because Charlie's still in Romania, but everybody fighting in that battle knows that Percy has come, because Percy has that big moment where he's just like, I'm sorry, I was an idiot. But that's also what makes it so heartbreaking that I just remember that scene of, ugh, we don't need to talk about it yet. It hasn't, we're not there yet. It, Get ready for me to cry a lot, you guys. I'm sorry in advance. Yeah, we're going to have to figure out something special for some of these episodes coming up forward <laughs> where it's just so much. But yeah, so there's a lot of the, the Percy stuff going on and the Weasley stuff going on. Did you have any other comments from other episodes that you had? Just, I mean, we talked a lot about how I feel about Umbridge as a teacher in my rant. And the, the fact that she's section. just not a teacher at all. Yeah. And just literally that fight that Harry has with her in her first lesson. It makes me cry. Like, how can this woman treat children that she's supposed to be teaching that way? I mean, for Harry to have gone through everything he went through and for this woman to call him a liar. Can you imagine? I, like, she just has no place being anywhere near so, so impressionable children. It's horrifying. Let's talk about Umbridge for a second, because there's no... Def she works for a ministry at, towards the end. She works for a ministry towards the end that's clearly been infiltrated by Voldy, yeah. and Voldy's at every single level. Mm. That being said, I don't think she's ever a Death Eater. She's never nope. closely involved with Voldy or any of his actual Death Eaters that I'm aware of other than reporting to like Yaxley or whatever. So that's why I go with, I think she's just chaotic evil of just I like. She's just pure evil. Like, I feel like there's always a debate within the fandom of like, who's actually more evil, Umbridge or Voldemort. And I 
think it's a, I... it's a debate we're gonna actually have to really have because i mean are. There, there's a debate to be had there and it's how you define evil and what goes into that but yeah she's torturing children she's torturing children physically, physically mentally emotionally eventually yeah. when she does like when you're talking about like Voldemort's reign in the government like obviously she's able to do some of what she does because Voldemort's really running the government but like Voldemort sets out to like have pure bloods reign and has pushback she creates the smuggleborn registration commission and she like gets her done like you know what i mean like she actually puts into practice the things that voldemort tried for how many years to to do like she just i'm a little surprised that she actually went after snape as hard as she did because I mean. given not, not forget the the death eater background i still stick by my i think she's just going by the ministry of magic towing the line of mm. whatever policy that is I honestly, personally, I don't think she cares one way or the other. Uh, she probably agrees with a lot of that obvious propaganda and stuff like that that was happening during the first Wizarding War. Where I'm surprised is she's a Slytherin. She yes. obviously values Slytherin because she found the locket and she was attracted to that. He's the head of the Slytherin house. The Slytherins have nothing but positive things to say about Snape. He tortures I, Harry. He does. But you know what? She's got to see how close he is to Dumbledore. So maybe it's just as simple as Dumbledore's pets. She is quite observant in the, why would Dumbledore keep, like, like what is it with you two? Because why did he even keep you on? Like, if you keep requesting this position, why does he keep you here? Like, I don't know. She, she must be, I mean, she obviously is observant, but. It's it's an interesting dynamic. It is. She's an interesting one to study. All pink and little girl voice. Like, is it an act? Because she's just, I mean, you'd just think she'd be a, like, Bellatrix-type figure marching through the halls. Yes, to a certain degree, I, I agree that it is an act. To kind of lull you into this like false sense of security or the idea that you can maybe try to dominate or push her around and then it's just she flips it on you. I I don't know. Maybe it's part of maybe it's part of her uh toad type uh <laughs> She's such a toad. She like lures you in and then snap. I hate her. Hopefully you guys have enjoyed our debates <laughs> and our conversations. And if you have, please like, comment, share the podcast, and let us know what you think. Participate in all of our polls on Spotify, Twitter, when we post them. And we will be back next week with Chapter 18. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you then. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening to Hogwarts, a podcast. If you like what you've heard, please click the subscribe button on your preferred podcasting app and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Hogwarts Apod.